Welcome to the iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. This is where we connect with healthcare providers from various clinical settings to learn more about how they are leading through innovation, protocol development, and integration of evidence to provide excellent clinical care to their patients. Join the conversation with your hosts from Medical Affairs at Baxter Canada. everyone and welcome to today's episode of I Connect with Baxter Canada podcast. My name is Michelle DeGloria. I am a medical science liaison with the medication delivery team at Baxter Canada and I will be your host for this episode. As always, our goal is to bring you interesting and relevant topics that impact your day-to-day practice as a clinician. I'm excited to speak with our guest today, Jillian Strudwick. Thank you everyone for joining us today. It is my pleasure to introduce my guest, Jillian Strudwick. Um, Jillian, I'm wondering if you could give everyone an introduction of your current role and some of your experiences and maybe your interest in the field of clinical informatics. Sure, and Michelle, I just wanted to say how great it is to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, So my uh, current role is I'm the Chief Clinical Informatics Officer at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. I also have a scientific um, part of my role, so I'm a scientist and do uh, digital health and informatics research. And then as a part of that, uh, I work at the university as an assistant professor um, teaching um, and uh, supporting graduate students uh, at the Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Um, so, so lots of places um, that I'm, I'm working, and um, but all within the same field of um, clinical informatics and digital health. In terms, of, and I think Michelle, you asked me about my interest in clinical informatics. This has really been something that has threaded throughout my career. So, when I was in my undergraduate degree, had an opportunity to have a summer job at a factory in Peterborough, Ontario, and um, it might seem like it's not at all related to the health space, (laughs) Um, and it isn't. However, what I witnessed uh, was the use of um, uh, data-driven decision-making. I saw robotics, automation, the use of computerization to support um, checks and balances in the food production industry, and was shocked when I went to my nursing placements and saw the lack of that kind of technology that we use in other areas of our world and life not being applied. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I think that would be a real eye-opener to um, see something as important as the delivery of care to patients, um, which obviously I have always say this, no one ever goes into work intending to make an error. So when you're witnessing something that is driving safety efficiency in a non, um, uh, maybe not as risky environment, I can imagine that would fuel some of your questions as to why, why were we not doing this in an area so important as healthcare. And certainly uh, when you're a nursing student um, making a medication error or missing care or an interpreting an order incorrectly uh, or not having the most up-to-date order, um, is front of mind. Uh, and so I remember seeing, and maybe you remember these two, Michelle, paper card X's with yes. um, pencil marks. Um, and there'd be processes in place of checking that overnight to make sure that everything was up to date. But I was quite concerned. We also weren't leveraging the data from our electronic health record system to do any sort of QI research 
um, performance-related work. And so those are the two things on my brain as to these are some big concerns, but real opportunities um, in the digital health clinical informatics space. No, definitely. And and when you mentioned the paper cardex, I always found that rather amusing that uh, with the stroke of an eraser, what was seemingly so important and must be known by all members of the interdisciplinary team could be erased and was and forgotten if you hadn't cared for that patient uh, previously or um, and really the the risk of human error was is great when you when you consider you know what maybe I consider is important maybe the next person coming on doesn't feel it's that important. Well, and it's hard to read some some of that writing. I don't know about you, Michelle, but I know there's sometimes times I can recall when there's three of us trying to figure out what something says and, okay, let's go back into the orders and try and find that, but that's from weeks ago. And um, so even that in itself, right, is um, important. Um, So from your perspective, what is clinical informatics? If you were describing clinical informatics to perhaps another healthcare professional or perhaps a lay person, what would you tell them and what would you say is the most important thing to know about clinical informatics? So I, this is an interesting question because I, I teach at the university and we often go through, what do you think <laughs> clinical informatics is? And all the students um, share their definitions. Um, and usually it has to, you know, folks think of clinical informatics, they think of some sort of technology. Um, but from a theoretical perspective, or if you go to the textbooks, um, often there's a Venn diagram that's uh, drawn And it's really the convergence of three things, um, a computer science, information science, and usually some sort of health discipline. So if you hear of medical informatics, that discipline is um, medicine or nursing informatics. Nursing clinical is really just more encompassing all of that. And so um, to simplify that, it's in in my mind, it's really about leveraging technology and data uh, to improve and support clinical care delivery. And so that's just a, you know, there's lots of nuances to it, um, but I think I can, that's probably the most simplistic definition that I can think of. Does that answer it, Michelle? It does. Fantastic. Um, Building on that and your experience at CAMH, how has clinical informatics changed how healthcare is delivered in your organization? Well, when I joined the organization, I joined as a staff nurse on an inpatient unit. And I was oriented to half a dozen different systems that I was required to use and sign in and um, complete various forms of documentation or to retrieve information or to document workload, that sort of thing. And so um, there was a lot of um, going in between systems, digging around, looking for information. Um, we essentially only had narrative type documentation, so it's really hard to see progression or trending of information. Um, and so uh, several years later, we went with a big bang or uh, implementation of an electronic health record system that virtually wiped out all those previous uh, wow. systems. And so we had this single system. And, and along with that came a whole bunch of opportunities. So lack of, so from an efficiency perspective, lack of having to sign on to all of these different mm-hmm. systems or to navigate or learn them. But having a single source of truth for information and being able to retrieve information easier. 
to some extent with some of the discrete information we have in the system. Certainly, it's it's able to see, we're able to see uh, some trending um, and able to pull that information out for QI or for research for performance. And then there's various aspects of um, improving safety, for example, barcode medication administration, um, for one. And so, you know, those are just a few of the examples of um, really that transformation that I saw um, from when I first started at the organization. So I would love to sort of build on that and understand from your experience, having been part of a system that sounds to be quite cumbersome, um, perhaps inefficient, um, when you talk about having multiple systems to get to your source of information, um, what was the reaction from staff like when the change made all of those systems converge into one? You know, it's an interesting question because you're you're drawing on my memory here. I think it. I think we're at something like eight years post go live of that system, or seven years, something like that. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm going to have to go back in my brain and and, and think back, but I think. Initially, there's often concern because people are, um, they know what they know. They know their current systems. Um, I think there is um, concern about, I'm going to have to learn something new. Am I going to be able to figure it out? Mm -hmm. But also, wow, this thing seems like it's going to solve a lot of our problems. So um, I guess um, nervous optimism pre-implementation. And of course, um, when you go big bang with one um, system, there's a, a number of weeks, perhaps months of training that you have to um, support. And so, um, you know, we're starting to get people familiar with the, the system pre-implementation such that they'd be able to go off running when it was implemented. But generally speaking, a lot of the, you know, the say concerns about learning something new didn't end up being an issue. And I, I, I doubt that people even remember their old world. Right. Um, but essentially, a lot of the processes that were cumbersome became more seamless. Nice. Um, so that I think that was one of the, the major um, pieces of feedback. And there are things that we didn't do before. We didn't do barcode medication administration. We had a paper-based bar. Then you hear stories, and I have a story myself of making a medication error before we implemented the system, um, where if we had the system in place that we have now, I I wouldn't have been able to make the medication error. It wouldn't have been possible. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I think some of those stories started to surface as people became more familiar with using it. And I think uh, for any clinician, obviously, you don't want to be the one that makes a medication error. And you also, that's something that stays with you. And I don't think that ever really goes away. So to know that there is a safer and, and better way of uh, preventing any of those types of errors from happening, um, I would think would be uh, considered a relief, um, almost like your guardian angel sitting on your shoulder watching over um, what you were doing to make sure that uh, in those times of fatigue, workload issues, um, there was sort of that safety net. For sure. And I think I think um, there's, there's some nuances to that. Um, because there's this level of trust in the system. For example, um, uh, we had uh, developed that level of trust in um, our, med- our MAR, a medication administration record being electronic, and it flagging certain things when meds were due or overdue, um, when you needed to follow up on, say, a PRN. Um, but uh, there was something that we discovered a little bit later is that I think there was an assumption 
that um, when you had PRNs that there's a maximum dose, for example, um, that you could have in a 24-hour period, based on all the wonderful other things that the system could do, there was an assumption that it would flag when you hit your limit. And I think um, sometimes we had to remember that we still have to critically think <laughs> um, because the system didn't do that. Um, and so we learned um, that we, you know, we still have to have this level of ability to think critically, to think about safety, uh, and that, yes, this is an additional safety net, but it can't do everything. Right. And so sort of being aware of that. Um, I understand one of the major accomplishments that have been um, or has been witnessed at CAMH is achieving HIMSS Stage 7 validation, uh, which is a huge accomplishment for any healthcare organization. And I did uh, some quick digging about HIMSS Stage 7 validation and found that as of March 2020, there were actually only 47 organizations which had achieved this status. And the majority wow. of those organizations were actually U.S.-based. So I'm wondering what the process was for achieving this at CAMH, and was this identified early on as a priority? Yeah, so first of all, I have to say, I, I didn't realize there's only 47 organizations. So um, yeah, that, that feels good that we were able to achieve that. Um, and it felt good before, but I didn't realize it was so small a group. Uh, so this is also going back in my memory because um, the initial HIMS um Achieving him stage seven occurred a number of years ago, and actually, it was just this past year, this spring, um, that we did uh, a, a revalidation um, to be able to continue to ma- maintain having that stage seven status. And for the most part, there are a lot of similarities between getting it the first time and getting it now. And of course, um, at our organization, we had to set up a structure to support that, the planning, and that happens a number of months in, in advance. Um, and HIMSS has all sorts of tools that you can use to do some self-assessments. Generally, you have to have um, you have to be able to demonstrate that you can achieve the metrics that they set out. And uh, these are things like um, having barcode medication administration present, but making sure that people scan um, at uh, I think HIMSS rate is ninety-five percent or higher. So wow. it's not it's not about just doing you know having the functionality, but you have to show that you actually are using it for its intended purpose. Amazing. Uh, so, so those sorts of things. So demonstrating not only you've implemented the technology, but clinicians are following through on using the technology as intended. And at 95%, that's obviously uh, with an expectation of a very high level of compliance. Yes, and you have to prove that over a number of months. So it's not good enough to say, you know, the day they show up, because um, <clears throat> they do a site visit. Okay. the HIMSS team. Um, I believe there's three people typically, although for the revalidation, it was smaller. Um, and uh, they'll go to your inpatient units. So they'll go see what's actually happening. But you also have to demonstrate and show your data and you have to provide some case studies of how you're using um, the system, um, typically uh, using the data from the system to drive decisions that improve quality, improve safety, that sort of thing. And there's also one that you have to demonstrate a, like a business case from a financial perspective. Um, so all of these sorts of things come together and it's, it's certainly an interdisciplinary lens as well. You know, not just focused on say nurses, but our physician colleagues and, and our other health disciplines colleagues, their use and how they're actually making a difference by using it right. um, with their patients. 
Um, what are some of the benefits that you would say are observed by the clinician, the patient, and the organization for having this um, HIMSS Level 7 validation? So it's interesting because the it's the the stage seven validation or the stage seven recognition, I should say. Um, it in itself is more like a, um, congrats, you did it. You know, um, so that you know that's great. It's it's nice to be able to demonstrate to our peers and to the to other um, hospitals potentially to patients if they're aware of what this is that we've achieved this. But it's really all the work that goes into it and, and um, the optimization efforts of the electronic health record that um, it signifies. And um, in terms of the you know, benefits to patients, well, I think it's, it's clear in the, the case studies that we presented that there are things like we're able to monitor um, for safety of, of some of our higher risk medications or um, in, a, in an improved manner. We're able to monitor for uh, and ensure that um, folks who are on cyclozapine, which in my world is a, a higher risk medication that has a number of side effects that we have to really watch out for, that they're getting timely appropriate um, uh, uh, following of um, their blood work, for example, or their blood pressure. And there's a number of other things we follow um, for uh, folks on that medication. Um, and so, and, and that can pre- prevent potentially things like myocarditis. Um, if you catch some of that early, you might even be able to prevent um, a, a fatal outcome. Right. And so there, those are the kinds of things that um, really, I think, have a clear impact on patients. Um, now, drawing back on your experience as a scientist and how that is built into part of your role at CAMH, do you want to share any projects that you've done, any data that you've looked at, any process improvements that you've been able to make um, using the data collected through clinical informatics? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm sort of um, look, uh, looking back and thinking about all the different projects that are going on and what might be most relevant, Michelle. Uh, one of the projects that we're currently um, just beginning, but I, I think there's some really good opportunity here, is to use the back-end analytics of our um, EHR system. So when I say back-end analytics, this is the usage characteristics of, um, we've looked at physicians, we're now looking at nurses, to see um, where they're spending their time, um, how much time they're spending, where there's opportunity for additional efficiencies. Um, And so this is about, um, you know, when folks are in the electronic health record system, making sure that they're spending it in the most um, uh, appropriate, probably it's not the right way, efficient manner, right? Right. Um, So that they can spend more time with patients um, or on um, clinical decision making and not so much on just documenting yet another um, form that we've asked them to do. So that, that we're, we're starting to pull that data and actually match it up with their experience, ask people. And so, you know, we see these trends. What are the opportunities here? What does this mean? So it's sort of combining your objective and subjective data around usage of the system. We've also had, like I can give another example too of, um, we looked at our barcode medication administration rates. And what's interesting was that um, once we did a number of interventions to support nurses and being able to better use the barcode medication administration system, meaning, um, you know, initially 
as you're learning and it's a new practice, um, your rates are probably not going to be at 95%. You have to sort of work on that over time. But when we saw it go way up, we saw the number of mismatch errors go up, which means the number of times it says, don't give that med that you just scanned to a patient, meaning we've prevented oh, med, med errors. Right. Um, and, and these were, over the course of looking at that, we were preventing hundreds a month. Wow. Um, which is it, which is quite significant. So mm-hmm. you know, if you're interested, I can point your listeners in the in, in the direction of the paper that reviews that data. But um, it's uh, these are the kinds of things we're working on. No, that would be fantastic, Jillian. And actually, what I can do um, for the listeners is if you provide me the link, I can make sure that's linked up in the um, information with the podcast, so that they can click directly and and find it fairly easily. Um, so I would be happy to do that and happy to share the information because I think that is one of the huge benefits um, that may be underappreciated in some cases with what clinical informatics means from a patient safety perspective. It's not necessarily, um, it, it's focused really on the number of errors that can be prevented or the near misses. And we know that near misses are often not reported so this is sort of a nice tie back to um, what we've been able to achieve or what has been achieved uh, through electronic health records. Right. And I think sort of my um, my learning through all of this is uh, there's a lot of effort that goes into the initial implementation, which is important and needed. <laughs> uh, but, but then you can't stop there. You have to do another phase of more optimization and seeing where can you actually get that benefit and tailor what that, you know, report is of data that you're looking for um, specific to what's going to work for you at your organization or what you're hoping to achieve. And so for us, we were able to look at medication errors. That was important. And I imagine it is for every organization, but there's going to be some specifics, obviously, that that match up with that organizational strategies, for example. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I'm going to come to a close, but I want to ask you what the top three recommendations you have for healthcare organizations investing in a clinical informatics system or an electronic health record. Ooh, okay. Top three. The first um, would be to really have strong engagement with your uh, clinicians, and I'm, I'm talking about nurses, physicians, your interdisciplinary team members, uh, right from the selection of the system um, throughout the process of um, implementing, optimizing, optimizing, and beyond. So, um, and, and part of that could be having a, a chief nursing informatics officer present, chief medical informatics officer present, having that role. So that'd be the first thing. Um, the second piece I would say is um, we often for, we often don't emphasize or think through as much as we ought to the optimization phase right. and that you know what happens post implementation in some of these systems. Uh, and so that would be my second piece is really have a robust strategy that's clinician and patient driven um, uh, post implementation for using that system. Um, and then in terms of my um, third recommendation, hmm, I would say one, another thing that I've found is that we often underinvest in training and education. Uh, yes. Um, and often that is 
we focus, we've hired someone new, we need to train them up, we need to orient them, and then we sort of forget about it. And we make a million changes to these systems throughout the year. And a newsletter going into someone's inbox is probably not sufficient. And so really thinking through a robust training and education strategy that expands beyond the implementation or orientation of a new hire perspective. And so I think those are those are my top three, Michelle. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Jillian. Um, this has been a great conversation. I look forward to having future conversations with you because I think we've only skimmed the surface of what um, I know our listeners will want to hear and what will really resonate with people in all different healthcare settings. As we know, um, clinical informatics, the awareness and the need grows. And um, as organizations are adopting electronic health records, hopefully um, they can take in some of your learnings and uh, be successful. Yes, thank you. Thank you for the invite. And um, I'm happy to uh, speak to you again. It'd be fun. Excellent. Thank you, Jillian. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss our next episode. Please reach out by email if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. We look forward to having you back with us next time. And as promised, you will find the link to the research article Jillian referenced in the description. Thank you for joining us for the episode of I Connect with Baxter. All of the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Baxter Canada. If there are other areas of interest you would like to see included on future podcasts, please email those to iconnect.baxter.com.